Welcome to the JIMD podcast, the preeminent podcast on inherited metabolic disease, or at least the leader in a field of one. I'm James Nurse, the journal's social media editor, and every fortnight I invite one or more of our wonderful authors to take me through their recent publications. We have a vast back catalogue, including topics from alcaptonuria to the urea cycle and ALG8 to X-linked adrenal leukodystrophy, so be sure to check that out, but not before listening to our latest episode on a potential oral enzyme therapy for maple syrup urine disease. Well, hello there. I know that I've said it before, but I think that maple syrup urine disease is one of the few inherited metabolic disorders that most clinicians have heard of, which I guess is the power of a catchy name. But I suspect that beyond that, they don't know much more. So it's great to be able to return to the topic as we discuss the recent paper, Oral Enzyme Therapy for Maple Syrup Urine Disease Suppresses Plasma Leucine Levels in Intermediate MSUD Mice and Healthy Non-Human Primates. And my guest is Dr. Kristen Skavarak, the first author of the paper. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Kristen, it wasn't so long ago that I did a podcast on gene therapy and a mouse model of MSUD. Um, but for those who may have missed that or perhaps just forgotten, can you briefly explain the pathophysiology behind this condition? Sure. So MSUD is an inborn error of metabolism, which means there's toxic buildup of branching amino acids and their keto acids due to deficiency of the BCKDH enzyme complex. Branched-chain amino acids are essential amino acids, so they're essential for growth and development, but we can't make them ourselves. We have to get those from diet. And MSUD, excess branched-chain amino acids, and in this case, it's really leucine and it's keto acid KIC that we're talking about, can become highly neurotoxic without treatment, which can manifest in many different ways, such as seizures, uh, cerebral edema, and it can progress to a coma and death within a couple of days. So it can get very severe very quickly. Based on newborn screening data, which is done in all 50 states in the U.S., MSUD affects about 1 in 200,000 births. But it is believed to be as high as 1 in 360 births in certain Mennonite communities due to a founder mutation. And the majority of these patients do fall into the classic MSUD phenotype. So this means they have little to no BCKDH enzyme activity. It's clearly a really severe disease. And the current management is pretty galling. Either patients have to profoundly restrict their protein intake, as well as taking specialist branched-chain amino acid-free formulas with valine and isoleucine supplementation and an emergency regimen in times of illness. Or for those patients with marked metabolic instability, liver transplant may be considered, and that in itself is not a small undertaking. Clearly, there's a huge need here for better therapies, and that's where your work comes in. What did you propose to do? So for Codexis, we did have a prior oral enzyme therapy for PKU, which is now going forward with Nestle Health Science and clinical trials. So we did have some preclinical and clinical validation for that enzyme as we expanded our pipeline into other inborn errors in metabolism. And similar to that program, we wanted to develop a non-invasive oral enzyme therapy that in this case could act on leucine coming from the diet at the site of protein breakdown, so the small intestine, and metabolize that amino acid prior to uptake into the bloodstream. And this could help patients better manage their, their leucine levels. Our goals were really to reduce reliance on the medical and low-protein foods and ideally increase protein tolerance. So this would allow for the introduction of more natural protein into the diet, which can improve growth and health, particularly in kids and teens. 
And then finally, because our therapy works independently of the endogenous BCKDH enzyme, it should work for all patients regardless of mutation. And because it's oral, we would aim for this therapy to be accessible to all ages. For this disease, especially pediatrics were an important population we would definitely want to target. So we're not talking about enzyme replacement, but it is an enzyme therapy. And I kind of see it as a being a bit like Pegvalier's in PKU. And certainly there are clear parallels. I mean, giving an enzyme directly into the stomach is obviously problematic. I mean, the body's supposed to break down proteins we put in our stomachs. So how do you circumvent that process? Yeah, if a therapy isn't stable naturally, there are certain things you can do to help in formulation and manufacturing. But Codexis is first and foremost an enzyme engineering company. And so prior to expanding into biotherapeutics, Codexis was designing enzymes for a variety of different commercial applications, which required the enzyme to be highly stable and active in some pretty harsh environments. So we basically took about 20 years of learnings and used that to artificially evolve our enzyme by systematically making targeted and untargeted mutations to improve the certain characteristics we needed for this program. In this case, we wanted to make it highly stable to the gastric environment, so stable and low pH and resistant to pepsin degradation, and then active in the small intestine, so stable and active in neutral pH and then resistant to pancreatic enzymes. And then by designing it to be naturally stable in this way, the enzyme wouldn't need enteric coating to survive the stomach, which should reduce cost of goods and allow for faster activation once in the small intestine. So once you've, you know, to use your word, evolved these variants, you can now get them where you need them. Your next challenge within this study was proving that that works. We're back with our animal models. But whereas in the gene therapy study, we were hearing about pups being treated immediately after birth, you're working with adults and you have to maintain them on diet, then stop the diet and start treatment to see if it works. Is, is that right? In a nutshell, yes. <laughs> with these animals, we performed two really very different studies. The first looked at leucine and KIC reduction in the blood and brain after just a single dose of leucine decarboxylase, which is the enzyme class that we're using in this program, followed by a very high bolus dose of protein. And the objective there was to determine how much of the leucine spike coming from diet could be blunted when treatment was given. And for those studies, we maximized the leucine we were providing, which in a clinical setting would be unethical and unsafe, but it was really for proof of concept. The second study aimed to better represent a real situation so we could make more informed predictions on what we might expect from patients. So the MSUD mice were provided a 25% increase in protein compared to their maintenance diet, which would be a meaningful increase for patients, along with a daily dose of leucine decarboxylase or vehicle for two weeks. Then we monitored fasted protein leucine levels, similar to how the, the human disease is monitored. And so for treated MSUD animals, leucine and KIC levels didn't significantly elevate above their starting baseline while our untreated animals did show a rapid increase. So that 25% increase in protein that we used in the study, it amounts to 50% of what is in normal diets. So we're still not to normal diet. And if we were able to repeat the study with them on normal diet, I would expect we would have to also increase the dose of leucine decarboxylase. But we were not able to do those follow-up studies. You sort of preempted my next question because I was going to ask about what the reality is 
for mice on treatment? Are we talking about managing a normal diet or just loosening the protein restriction? So you're saying the next stage would be to to give more enzyme to get them more protein. Do you think you could just keep going up or is there going to be a threshold at which, you know, they're saturated for want of a better word? You can't get them any better. I, I think it will be very similar to what we're seeing in PKU. There will be a peak threshold and a lot of it will depend on the severity of the disease. There's a lot of heterogeneity in these metabolic disorders. So for some people, it might be just better maintaining leucine levels without a lot of the severe side effects. Or for some patients, it will be increased protein tolerance, ability to eat more protein in a day and loosening those restrictions. And this paper is somewhat unusual because not content with just looking at those mice, you've gone on and looked at rats and then non-human primates. Yeah, with an oral therapy, there's a lot less safety concerns versus a systemic. But the one concern we had going into this from the start was that we know that isopentylamine, which is the, the product of leucine decarboxylation, isn't broken down by the GI tract or cells. And, you know, there is some data out there to say that it is safe, but we really wanted to pressure test that first before advancing into our proof of concept and efficacy studies. So we did a safety study in Sprogdali rats fed daily isopentylamine, and they were fed a dose 20-fold over what we would expect to be produced in the small intestine. And we saw absolutely no adverse effects or abnormal histopathology. So that gave us a lot of confidence to move forward with our efficacy studies. In our non-human primate studies, our primary endpoint was really blood leucine, but we were also monitoring for any indications of GI distress post-treatment. As we were dosing quite high in some of our early studies, and the non-human primate GI tract and diet is a bit more representative to humans than to rodents. And we also saw absolutely no abnormal treatment-related side effects in those studies. Well, it's reassuring to know, I suppose, that our guts are more like primates than mice. Um, so all we hear about at the moment is gene therapy. And to be honest, I'm partly to blame because all we've been talking about on the podcast recently has been gene therapy. You might think that it's actually here. And the reality is it isn't, is it? We've got barely a handful of, of gene therapy treatments in IMD. Even if we get gene therapy, it doesn't mean that other treatments aren't needed. It sounds like this is getting close to a to a phase one trial. What What comes next? Uh, yeah, I think there is absolutely room for all types and more treatments out there, especially for MSUD. And it's always nice to have options so patients can choose what might better meet their preferences and needs. As I said before, there's a lot of heterogeneity in these rare metabolic diseases. For this program right now, it's essentially ready for material scale up to enable POC studies and then hopefully onward to phase one. But at this time, the, the leucine decarboxylase program for MSUD is on hold at Codexis and we're looking for partners that can take this forward. I mean, that's so disappointing to hear. I, I feel in some ways that gene therapy is a bit of a distraction at the moment. It's not here yet. When it does arrive, it's going to be expensive. We are going to need more than one option and we can't put all our eggs in the gene therapy basket. You're obviously absolutely embedded in this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually did my PhD work in MSUD, but you know, PKU, HCU, I've been studying these diseases for about 20 years. And I've had the, the pleasure of focusing on those specific diseases and been connected to the patient groups for a very long time. So it's really my greatest hope that this potential therapy can be given the shot it deserves to determine whether it can help and make a difference for patients. 
I mean, all I can say is I hope that this is something that we are going to see more of and hear more about in future. And I'd certainly love to have you back if we've got some important updates to share. For those who are listening who'd like to read more, please click the link in the podcast description, or you can go to the JMD web pages and search for Entral Enzyme Therapy in MSUD. Kristen, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. 